This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Aaron, and uh, I'm one of the pastors at Exilic, and it's hard to believe that uh, eight years have already gone by. Um, In some senses, the past eight years have felt like uh, just a blink of an eye, Uh, In another sense, the past two and a half years alone have sort of felt like eight years. Um, So a lot has happened over the course of eight years. But what has stayed the same during our time has been our mission, uh, which is to inspire thinkers to believe and to inspire believers to think. And in just a few weeks, on December 11th on our Membership Sunday, you'll actually have an opportunity to hear uh, a pretty amazing story of someone in our community who stepped into our doors one year ago as a skeptic and had never been to church before. And um, when you hear his story, he talks about how his heart was racing and pounding when he walked into our doors. And just one year later, he is now a professing Christian, is about to get baptized, is going to become a member of our church and even organized an informal men's retreat just a few weeks ago. This is why we're here. But we're not here just to build a great church. Uh, We're also here to build a great city. We're not here just to bless the people within the walls of this church, uh, but we also exist to be a blessing to the people that are outside of these walls in our city. And so as we celebrate our eight-year anniversary today, uh, I want us to think about what it means to be city conscious. And to do that, I want to take a look at uh, Jonah, uh, verses 1 to 2. And so if you can read this with me one more time. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, to give you a little bit of a background on the city of Nineveh, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. And so in some senses, the Ninevites were the great-great-great-great-great-grandfathers and mothers of the Taliban and ISIS. But even more than the Taliban and the ISIS, the Ninevites were far more diabolical people. This is one of the cruelest, most violent empires in ancient history, which is why throughout the book of Jonah, God refers to the city of Nineveh as a wicked city. And to just sort of display just how wicked the city of Nineveh was, to this day we have archaeological evidence of the Assyrian Empire dating back as far back as 8th, 9th century BC that sort of highlight just how wicked the city of Nineveh was. And so I want to excuse the graphic nature of this image that is about to be portrayed. 
But this is an image of an artifact of what the Ninevites would do to their enemies. And here you have an, an image of the Ninevites castrating uh, their enemies. And if you castrated someone in the right angle, that person could actually live on that pole for several days before they died. We also have artifacts of the Ninevites filleting people's skin off and hanging their skin on the city walls. We have artifacts of the Ninevites cutting off one arm and both legs of their enemies. Now, why not both arms and both legs? It's because with that one arm that they had, they would shake the hand of their victim before they bled to death. And so the Ninevites were an absolutely cruel and evil people. And I want to share this for two reasons. Number one, despite the fish that swallows up Jonah, there is a historical component to this book. This book does not begin with once upon a time in a land, land you know, far away, but it begins with the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, who went to the ancient historical city of Nineveh, which is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. So I want you to see the historical nature of this book. But the second reason why I want to uh, share the sort of depravity and the lack of humanity uh, with the Ninevites, the, this particular culture, is because I want you to understand why Jonah runs the complete opposite direction from Nineveh. God calls Jonah to go and preach to the city of Nineveh. But once you understand just how inhumane the Ninevites were, you can understand why Jonah runs the complete opposite direction. Yet despite the depravity of the Ninevites and the wickedness of this city, God has a very balanced view of the city. On the one hand, God refers to uh, the city of Nineveh as a very wicked city. On the other hand, when you take a look at uh, the verse again, in verse 411, it says this, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people? So do you see the balanced view that God has of the city? On the one hand, he refers to it as a wicked city. On the other hand, he refers to it as a great city. In fact, God refers to Nineveh as a great city three times throughout the book of Jonah. And why does God refer to the city of Nineveh as a great city? There are two reasons. One, simply because of its sheer size. So in Jonah 3.3, it says, Now Nineveh was very, a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So for those of you who are from the Bay Area, you know that San Francisco is 7 by 7, 7 miles by 7 miles. You can walk through the city of San Francisco in one day. Nineveh, it took three days to walk through the city of Nineveh. That is how massive this city was, especially for that time back then. But God not only refers to Nineveh as a great city simply because of its size, but he also refers to Nineveh as a great city because most ancient cities only had 3,000 people back then. But how many people did the city of Nineveh have? More than 120,000 people that lived in the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was not just a metropolis, it was a megapolis. In many ways, Nineveh 
was, the, was basically New York City of the ancient world. There was more image of God per square foot in the city of Nineveh than there was in any other ancient city. And similarly, I would say, there is more image of God per square foot in our city than any other city in the entire country. Now, why should the population of Nineveh and New York City matter to us? Well, I like what Bill Crispin said when he said this. In the country, you have more plants than people. In the city, you have more people than plants. Since God loves people far more than plants, he loves the city far more than the country. So just from a numbers perspective, there was more image of God per square foot in Nineveh than any other ancient city. And just from a numbers perspective, there is more image of God per square foot in New York City more than any other country. Now, these are pre-pandemic numbers when I say this, but the city of Atlanta, Atlanta has 6,000 people per square mile within the city limits. Philly, 12,000 people per square mile within the city limits. You know Manhattan? 60,000 people per square mile within the city limits. And that's not including Monday through Friday during the business work week when the city almost doubles, uh, Manhattan almost doubles uh, inside, in size. And so New York City, in some ways, we might not have the best beaches, right? We don't have mountains, but we have more of the apex of God's creation per square foot than any other city in the world. And the global trend has been and will continue to be city-biased. Sociologically speaking, America and Europe are 75 to 80% uh, urban. Most people live in the city. South America and Asia are quickly catching up to those numbers. The last continent that will be a predominantly urban-based is probably Africa. But at the end of this century, Africa too will be mostly city dwellers. And the reason for that is because five million people move into the city every single month. That means that every month and a half, every month and a half, there is a new New York City being born or in LA County. And so the migration pattern is towards the city. As William Gibson said, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed yet. But in terms of urban migration, it eventually will be. Now, the problem is this. Right now, more people are moving into the city than churches are. And so this is why Exilic started eight years ago, because for every million people, you need about 1,000 churches to reach those million people. In our church, we wanted to help reduce that number from 1,000 to 999. But did you know that in 2020, there were 10 to 12 church plants that were started in Manhattan? Do you know how many church plants were started in 2022? Just one. There was one church plant this entire year in the borough of Manhattan. And so if we are going to reach our city, we need more churches, and we also need existing churches to be as healthy as possible to reach the city that we live in because God not only cares about Nineveh, 
but he also is deeply concerned with New York City as well. And so can I ask you an honest, honest question? What are your thoughts, feelings, and attitudes toward our city? Is it more like Jonah who fled from the city because he disdained it? Or is your heart for the city more like God's who loved the city because of all the people in the city? Now, generally speaking, there are three attitudes when it comes to the city. You either romanticize the city, disdain the city, or you love the city. Now, those of you who romanticize the city, chances are your transplants, you've watched Home Alone, you have this idyllic picture of what New York is like, you love the energy, the arts, the fine dining, the food, the culture, the, 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 the level of, of gifted, talented, and beautiful people that there are here. But chances are, if you romanticize the city, it, 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 when you romanticize a city, it sort of breeds a sort of consumer mindset where you're here to tap the resources of the city. Your mindset is, I'm just going to live here for a few years, and then I'm going to move back home to wherever I'm from. So your mindset is very much consumer-based. You're here to consume it, uh, use the resources of, of our prestigious universities, uh, build your portfolio, climb that ladder, but eventually you're out. So there isn't really this genuine love or care for the city so much as a consumer mindset. The second attitude you can have toward the city is one of disdain, much like Jonah. You hate the culture. People are mean. It's expensive. It's dirty. There's traffic. It's overly competitive. And so there's this disdain for the city. And much like Jonah, you could care less if this city burns down. So there's a hate or disdain for the city. But there's a third attitude that you can have for the city. And that is a love for the city that we live in. Now, I want to be careful of proselytizing urban propaganda here because the Bible is not saying that you have to love an urban way of life. But what the Bible is saying is that you have to love people. And there are more people in cities than in the country. And so if you love people, you have to love the city too. Because if the city is not thriving, the people that live in the city are not going to thrive either. And so if you love people, it comes in a package where you also have to love the city that the people live in as well. And so let me ask you a question again. What are your thoughts, feelings, and attitudes towards the city that we live in? When you take a look at this text, God did not romanticize the city of Nineveh. He did not disdain the city of Nineveh, but he had great concern and love for the city of Nineveh. And you know what? God loves the city that we, uh, that we let, uh, live in as well. But it's not just the sheer number of people uh, that he loved the city of Nineveh, but he also loved the city of Nineveh because in verse 11b it says this, And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. When you can't tell the difference between your right hand and your left hand, that means you're confused. And what God is saying about the Ninevites is that they were confused with who God was. And when you're confused about who God is, 
you're confused about who you are. And when you're confused about who God is and you're confused about who you are, you're confused about reality as we know it as well. William James, philosopher from Harvard, uh, for those of you who are history buffs, you know him to be the father of pragmatism. William James says that we may be in the universe like dogs, like dogs in a library, seeing the books, hearing the conversations, but having no inkling of their meaning at all. And what God was saying about the Ninevites was this, that they could see the books, they could hear the conversations, but they had no inkling of their meaning at all when it, come, when it came to God as well. And so he is not just saying this about the Ninevites, but God is also saying this about us as a city as well. Did you know that 92 to 93% of our, of our city are not Christians? That means seven to eight, and those are generous numbers. Only seven to 8% of our city self-identify as followers of Jesus. Seven to 8%. But as low as those numbers are, we have a great opportunity to inspire thinkers to believe and to inspire believers to think. Do you know why? Because when people come to the city, they very much come with open minds and open hearts. A lot of people move to New York because they want to escape their comfort zone of whatever small town they're from. They want to escape their comfort zone and build a new identity. People come here to experience Whenever people come to the city, they're explorational and aspirational. This is why immigrants always move to the city first. Because they're, they're aspirational and explorational about all, all that their new life can hold. And so as low as these numbers are, people come into our city very much with open minds and very much with open hearts. And so being in the city, we have a great opportunity, again, to inspire thinkers to believe and to inspire believers to think. But what was Jonah's attitude toward the city of Nineveh? Jonah went to the city of Nineveh kicking and screaming. And then when he was forced to go to the city of Nineveh, his message was, turn or burn. And then the Ninevites miraculously listened to Jonah's turn or burn message, no compassion, no concern, no love, but the Ninevites actually listen to Jonah, and there's massive repentance and revival on, on, on a historic scale. But even when the Ninevites repent of their wickedness and turn to Jesus, Jonah is pissed off. He's not rejoicing. Firefighters, when they save a life, they're not pissed off. Doctors, when they save a life, they're not pissed off. Why is Jonah so pissed off that the Ninevites actually repent and experience great revival? And the reason for that is because Jonah did not understand this unique concept that is at the heart of our faith called grace. And so for those of you who are here at our church for the first time, what is grace? Let me tell you a, a, a short parable about an ant and a grasshopper. Okay, so every year, this writing teacher gave, an, uh, gave this exercise to her students where she would tell 90% of a story and then she would tell the student 
to uh, complete the, the last 10%, which was open-ended. And so the, the writing teacher said, once upon a time, there was an ant and a grasshopper. And so during the summertime, the ant would um, be diligently storing its food away, and, and then in autumn, the ant would be diligently storing its food away. But the grasshopper would just play, was negligent, was lazy. The grasshopper did not store its food away. And so when winter came, the ant had plenty of food to eat, while the grasshopper had no food to eat. And seeing that the grasshopper was about to starve to death, it sheepishly went to the ant's house and knocked on its door. And, and the grasshopper said, Mr. Ant, may I have some of your food? And the writing teacher says, okay, now you go and finish the story. And the writing teacher says it's usually one of two endings. Either most students say the ant gave some of its food to the grasshopper, or the ant gave none of its food to the, ant, uh, to the grasshopper because the grasshopper, they, they get what they deserve. That's what justice is, right? You get what you deserve. But there was one particular student that wrote an alternate ending that the teacher had never heard before. And this particular student did not say that the ant gave some of its food away or none of its food away. But this particular student said that the ant gave all of its food away to the grasshopper so that the grasshopper could flourish and live at the cost of the ant's life. And that teacher was so blown away, she had like never heard any story like this before. But you have, right? At the end of the day, the grasshopper is us. And the ant is Jesus, who doesn't just give some of his life away or none of his life away, but he gives all of his life away. He is the one that works and lives the life that we should have. But he also dies the death that we deserved at the great cost of his life. And this is what grace ultimately is. Unlike Jonah, who went kicking and screaming to Nineveh, Jesus Christ willingly came down to earth. Unlike Jonah, whose message was turn or burn, Jesus' message was, I will burn for you and for your sins, and I will drink the wrath of God. Unlike Jonah, who climbed up a mountain to watch the city of Nineveh perish before his eyes, Jesus Christ climbed Mount Golgotha, where he would perish for us. Unlike Jonah, who was pissed off that the city of Nineveh actually repented, Jesus Christ rejoices over us, and heaven rejoices over one person that repents and finds him. But there is one similarity between Jonah and Jesus, and that is this. Just as Jonah was swallowed up by the belly of the fish for three days, Jesus Christ was also swallowed up by the belly of the earth for three days. But three days later, Jesus would explode out of the mouth of the grave and rise victorious for us. And in his victory, we have victory as well. And if God loves people, even like the Ninevites, that means that we are called to love people as well. Let me just close with this. Um, I grew up about 15, 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. 
And I guess you could put me in the category of someone that had a disdain for the city, which is why after I graduated college, I was out of here. In fact, I, I moved halfway across the world for two years. And then I moved to um, Southern California for almost 10 years, surfing, flip-flops, you know, um, I was driving stick shift, just learning how to ride a motorcycle, going to Vegas every month, it was great. And then I met a girl and we got married and she happened to live over here and she was like, I ain't moving over there. And so much like Jonah, I came back here kicking and screaming. I did not want to come back here. But one of the things that slowly started happening to me as I moved back to our city as an older adult is a deeper appreciation for the city that we live in, the energy which is unparalleled, the culture, the food, the ambition, the level of, of gifted and talented people. And, and, but yeah, more than anything else, what made me fall in love with the city was the people, people like you. And people like Edwin Colon, who is speaking next week, who is, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, he is the most remarkable man I have ever met in my life. The most remarkable man. He is not only a friend, but he is my hero. I've never met anyone like Edwin before. And as I slowly began to fall in love with the people, I began to fall in love with the city. You know, I, I still hate winter, it's six months long. I still get allergies in the fall and in the spring. I hate that, I still hate the fact that it's expensive. There are still things that I don't like. But as I began to fall in love with the people, I began to fall in love with the city because people live in the city. And as I began to care more for the city, I began to also fall in love more and more with the people. What if God has you here not to romanticize the city or disdain the city, but to actually love the city the way that he loves? Not to consume the city, the prestigious universities, the jobs, the money, networking, not just for those things, but to actually give back to our city, to be a city on a hill, to be an alternate city within the city. Because I tell you, when you take a look at the landscape of the Bible, it begins with a very negative view of the city. You know, the very first person to build a city in the Bible was Cain, a murderer. And his ancestors were the first to build the city. And then you have the Tower of Babel and Sodom and Gomorrah. Very negative view of the city. But by the time you get to the middle of the Bible, like Nineveh, that God has concern for, or Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, or Jesus weeping on behalf of Jerusalem, it has a more positive view. And by the end of the Bible, it has an even more positive view of the city. Hebrews 11 says this, instead, they were longing for a better country, that is, pilgrims, exiles, Christians, a heavenly one, for he has prepared a city for them. And so the Bible has this escalating positive view of the city. And if that's the way the Bible views the city, we have to as well. So what are, what are two things that you can do to love the city that we live in more? Number one, very practically speaking, next week is our annual Hope for New York Sunday. If you're unfamiliar with Hope for New York, 
Uh, Hope for New York is um, an organization that helps the most marginalized and oppressed and the poor in our city. They have over 100 different affiliates, and you'll hear two in particular that you can partner with individually or even as a community group. And so you hear those opportunities next week for ways that we can love the city that we live in. But there's a second thing that you can do to love our city more. And that is simply to have the mindset that wherever you go, you want to leave that place better than how you found it. So in, in, in a few weeks for Thanksgiving, I'm going to go to Philly, crash at my cousin's house. He's actually going to be in Jersey for Thanksgiving. So that whole, whole house is going to be empty. So uh, it's like a, a free Airbnb for us. Now, I could just go there, use all the toys and all the stuff that he has and consume it and trash the place when I leave, or I can use that place and leave it better than how I found it. Flowers, toys for his kids, all that kind of stuff, you know, keeping it nice and tidy. What if we had that mentality? For however long you're here, your mentality was, However long I'm here, if it's just one year, three years, five years, 10 years, however long I'm here, I wanna leave this city better than how I found it. If we had that mentality, all of us, then we can actually reach our city more and more because the more we reach our city, the more we reach people, the more we reach people in our city, uh, the more we will help our city thrive as a giant ecosystem. If God loves a wicked city like Nineveh, then we must too. We are not here just to build a great church, but a great city. We're not here just to bless the people within these walls, but to be a blessing to the people outside of these walls. We are here to be a city on a hill, an alternate city within a city. And my prayer is that God would bless that and use that for another eight years and more. Let's pray together. Lord, uh, help us to have your heart uh, for the city. Help us not to romanticize it or disdain it, but to truly love it, to love the people in our city and to love the city that holds all these people. Help us to live for something bigger than ourselves. And it is my prayer that you would bless that work for the next eight years and beyond. In your name I pray. Amen.